This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Today we're visiting with Bob Thomason, who's the station manager here at KLZR Radio, and he's been the technical expert from the very beginning of Wet Mountain Valley Radio. He's looking to retire here at KLZR after all those years of service, and today we want to pick his brain about the history of the station. He's also been a resident here since uh, 1993. Bob, thanks for uh, joining us this morning. Hey, Gary. It's a pleasure. It's great to be here. You know, most people that join us are uh, perhaps uncomfortable behind the microphone, but not you. You've, uh, <laughs> you've uh, been here longer than anybody. Paul did a great interview with Lou Kravitz, your partner in crime in putting this station together. So we have his perspective. But in your recollection, what was the original catalyst for Wet Mountain Valley Radio? Uh, well, I would say it was probably Lou, Lou Kravitz. And I'm not really totally sure what his motivation was. But we saw in Time Magazine there was a little short article about uh, the FCC letting these licenses for low-power FM radio stations in Colorado, and Colorado was in the last round of mm -hmm. the national process to, to do that. And so we applied for a license, and uh, we got the license, and then we had, uh, I think it was 18 months or so to get on the air. Mm -hmm. And so we had some time to prepare and put up a tower and find a location <laughs> and, you know, do all those kind of things. So that's sort of how it got started. So what was your first thought when Loop pitched this idea to you? It was that I did not realize I've always wanted to do this. <laughs> <laughs> So he hit. So he hit you just right. So he did. He, he did. Yes. Now, when the the station first started and it first got on the air, uh, that technical piece is checked off the list. Okay, we can we we've got a signal, but at some point you've got to have content and the strategy and the plan. Yeah. And yeah. I I remember the conversations that uh, you Joni and Shauna were kind of that team. How did that all take place? Will Sybil gave us a 100-CD changer. It's like the size of a microwave. And we had uh, no equipment other than that 100-CD changer. And at that time, we didn't even have the studio at the Jones Theater. That came a little later. We had a location up in Search and Rescue mm. in the building. That's where our transmitter was and our antenna is right next door to the building. So about the only thing we could do was put the CD changer up there at Search and Rescue. We put 100 CDs in it, and, and people people still laugh about, the, uh, about the, the content because we had bluegrass, and we had opera, and we had, uh, <laughs> and we had symphonic music, and we had jazz on 100 different CDs. I mean, mm -hmm. these were all just commercial CDs that we put in the changer. And so it would, it would play one song at random from each CD and then move on to another CD. So you never knew what you were going to hear next. And, and that we, we actually wore that thing out in uh, about two months of use before we got new equipment that gave us the ability to do something in a more systematic kind of programmed sort of way. So ah, We've come you know. a long way since then, obviously. What, in those early days, what was the most challenging aspect of 
the radio station. The next step from that was to get a radio automation system, a primitive one compared to what we have now, and run it on a computer up at Search and Rescue because we still didn't have a studio. But we were doing syndicated shows up there Mm -hmm. at that time. I got to thinking about it as like, you know, used to see the the juggler who had the plates on the sticks is spinning them and, and that's you just had to keep the plates spinning other so it didn't crash and that was uh, kind of the feeling that i developed about uh, running a radio station at that time in that way now uh, correct me if i'm wrong but you you had no radio experience before this started did no you? i had done a little you know when i was in college i did some television work done book publishing, done photography, done a lot of different things, but never done any radio. And I mean, I can remember when I was a little kid, I sat in my room, you know, and dreamed about, well, what if I had, you know, like a bank of countertop going around my room and all of that space was, you know, filled up with electronics equipment, (laughs) you know, that I, for just for my own pleasure to listen to, you know, and, um, so that, that, that was maybe the thought in my mind, I guess. A few years ago, we changed call letters and frequencies in order to extend our reach. What were the technical issues with that transition? That was a big one. Hmm. We were Because we were becoming a full-power radio station with that, that move, going from a low-power FM broadcasting at 100 watts to a full-power radio station, and our license we applied for was uh, to broadcast at 6,000 watts. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you got a a big transmitter. It's about the size of a a refrigerator Mm -hmm. and way more expensive than a refrigerator. (laughs) And uh, we uh, we had the tower, but we needed a different antenna Mm -hmm. in order to broadcast at 6,000 watts. And uh, the antenna itself is, you know, a a very big investment at the time. The new antenna cost around $12,000 just Mm -hmm. to have it designed, Mm -hmm. uh, fabricated, and shipped to us. So all of these pieces had to be anticipated and ordered ahead of time. You know, some of them, like the antenna, had a lead time of... uh, maybe six months Mm -hmm. to to get it delivered. So let's uh, think that you describe a time when there were no DJs. Uh, There was basically no budget back in the early days. You had a handful of volunteers and a giant uh, microwave-sized CD changer. Today, (laughs) the station boasts 100 volunteers, 35 DJs. We're close to the top in the Spirit Campaign. There's half a dozen major events a year. A lot has happened since the early days. Yeah. Uh, what's been your take on the evolution of the whole thing? Uh, you've been there from the beginning. Yeah, once we got past the initial building of the antenna and you know getting ourselves a 100-watt transmitter and doing those kind of things, then it, it, we had a station, and it, was, it could broadcast. But we did have – we had no content. We had no – we had no policies internally. Mm-hmm. We had to we had to kind of do triage every week. Joni Liebman and Shauna Lewis and myself we met in my dining room for a year or two, and we met three hours every single week. Hmm. And the meetings were never long enough. 
because we were just trying to figure out, okay, what do we need to do? What do we need to decide today? And who's going to do it? And basically, it was just the three of us at that time running the whole radio station. We were the only real volunteers. And so we not only had to make all the dream up the ideas, make all the make all the policies, but figure out how who you know which one of us was actually going to do that work that needed to get done. And we did that every week. We never had really the opportunity to think about raising money, for example, mm-hmm. because we were just busy, you know, keeping the plates spinning in the air, like I said. That was during the KWMV days. And so when the, we when the board started to grow and we had a more business-like board of directors, mm-hmm. and most of the people who were in that initial uh, board for the radio station are still on the board today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they came in and had ideas about raising money for the station. They... They wanted to see the station grow, and they were really the ones who made it possible for us to eventually go to 6,000 watts mm-hmm. because, it, you know, the, the, it was probably a $50,000, $60,000 investment in this radio station to go to full power. And it, it was even, it was, you know, about that much to get a 100-watt station on the air initially, too, but you know Lou was really behind doing mm-hmm. that at the time and that was in a sense a blessing and a curse because we had we had someone who was willing to put the station on the air and spend the money whatever it took basically to mm-hmm. do that but at that time we weren't developing people who were interested in seeing and furthering the radio station mm-hmm. so that's why I say it's kind of a blessing and a curse but Later on, when the board expanded, we got more people involved who had ideas about raising money and keeping that going, as opposed to the on-air pledge drives. We've never actually done mm-hmm. an on-air pledge drive, and they're they're kind of passe anymore in, in, mm-hmm. in community radio, public radio. It's not so. We were kind of ahead of our time in a way by not doing those pledge drives and and doing kind of community-based events like the. Uh, High Peaks Music Festival mm-hmm. and Taste of the Valley and others. I don't want to start naming them because I know I'll leave some out. But, right, uh, right. That, you know, that has been our our mode for raising funds. Yeah. Think, thinking about the differences with the other radio stations, how, how is KLZR different from other radio stations around the state? We've been different right from the start. There, there's no other radio station that I know of in Colorado anyway, that is um, in a town the size of Westcliff. The population, I mean, it just makes no sense if you look at other radio stations. <laughs> they're, they're supported by universities. They've been on the air for 40, 50 years, some of them. And they have a, an institution behind them. We, we don't. We, we have sort of built our institution here, made it part of the community, tried to really make the radio station part of the community and uh, a valuable member of the community without having a university behind us or a college behind Mm -hmm. us. And this is a that's a, a huge undertaking. And, I, I you know, it's one of those things if you realize what you're going to have to do, probably none of us would have really done it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but but it has grown into that and we always wanted to make the radio station an, a valued member of the community in some way and there's frontiers to explore to do that further and we're pleased to have the community behind us through members and underwriters and volunteers absolutely that, especially for a community this small so what's been the most rewarding aspect of your association with the station over the years well i think i touched on earlier that i realized at some point that i really have always wanted to do this mm -hmm. and it was uh, it was just a great pleasure and thrill really to see it happen and to be a part of the technical advancement of the radio station it has just been so interesting and fulfilling for me uh, to do that, to be involved in it, that um, I think that's probably the, the most interesting thing. And previous to that, I was working in my own business, and I was, you know, I'm like the one-man band in my own business. <laughs> so at the time, I was kind of looking to get into an organization with more people than mm -hmm. just me and people with other types of expertise and other experiences. And so the radio station presented that possibility to me as well. And so many great people have come through this radio station and are still here. It, it is really a testament to the staying power of, of this radio station. Uh, radio is wonderful in that it, it involves everything it can be news it can be be entertainment it can be technical things to solve there are always artistic things to solve there are always financial problems to solve i mean it just kind of encompasses everything and that's what's sort of like cool and you know in endlessly <laughs> and fascinating painful about time, and painful sometimes, sometimes too yeah let me ask uh, assuming that you achieve escape velocity of the gravitational forces of KLZR and get into your own orbit. What's uh, next for you and Patricia? Before I got hooked on radio, I was, uh, I was a commercial photographer, and I was traveling a lot, making photographs all over the western United States primarily since I moved to Westcliff, and that is what I want to continue to do. I really love the Western landscape in all of its many and varied forms. I'm really interested in that, just from my personal fulfillment to get out there in, the, in that landscape and make photographs and travel around. You know, Patricia and I are uh, at a point where we can maybe travel around and take things a little slower and enjoy it more. And that's, uh, that's what we're trying to do. And you've just had one of your pictures of Bears Ear National Monument picked up by the Guardian, so that, that's a big thing. Uh huh. Yeah, I've had one. I've had the same uh, agent. They've they've gone under different names, but Getty Images has been the agent for my pictures for uh, boy many decades now, probably three decades. Well, good luck in your next life. And on behalf of the station, let me just say thanks for. All the work you put in over all these years, it, it's not hyperbole to say that you've donated hundreds of thousands of dollars of your time. I've done the math. I know it's true. So uh, thanks for that. We're about out of time. So uh, thanks for stopping by this morning. Thanks, Gary. 
it has been a pleasure both today and over the the past uh, 20 years or so. (laughs) We've been visiting with Bob Thomason, who's station manager here at KLZR, looking to retire. He's been the technical wizard for all of those years, and it's been a pleasure to uh, get his take on the history of the station. My name's Gary, and this is Valley Views. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Send your ideas and comments to comments at klzr.org. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. I'm walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground. 